This is episode number 185 of the Rising Man podcast with Aaron Alexander. Invest in relationships now so they'll be there for you when you really need them. Welcome back, Rising Man family. Thank you for joining me here today. If this is your first time joining us, then welcome to the Rising Man podcast. If you've been here for a while, welcome back. My name is Jedi Azuma. I'm the founder and creator of the Rising Man Movement and the host here on the podcast. Grateful, grateful to be sitting here behind the mic again. It's always such a humbling experience to be able to host these conversations. Now, before we get into today's episode, I've been throwing down the gauntlet in a more firm way, calling you guys forward. Hey, you guys out there, yes, you. If you are sitting on the periphery, just listening to the podcast, just soaking up content from a distance, I'm gonna challenge you to step in a little bit more. And I think the best way for anyone to get started on their rising man path is to join our 12-week online course called Ignite. This is literally the jumpstart launch pad for men. If you have any sense of lacking clarity or confidence in your life, if you're not sure about where you're going with your vision, if you're looking for some foundational ways to connect to your values and really just set a blueprint for how you want to live your life, then Ignite is 100% the way to go. It's super accessible. You do it at your own pace. It's 12 weeks long, so I think it's just the right amount of time to really nail down some of these important factors that every man needs to have going for him in his life. So go ahead over to risingman.org Ignite. Get yourself signed up today because I'm telling you it's got the best of the best that I've learned in the past 10 years crammed into 12 weeks. So go check it out today. Now, my guest for today's episode is Aaron Alexander. Aaron is a pioneering manual therapist and movement coach, founder and creator of The Align Method, author of The Align Method book, and host of The Align Podcast, which is ranked number one in nutrition on iTunes. In this episode, Aaron and I picked apart some important topics affecting our global society. First, we captured Aaron's perspective on what it means to be a man, both traditional masculine association and what he believes is needed for men in the world today. We discuss what it means to make decisions for ourselves and how many out there in the world are going with the crowd instead of thinking critically. Aaron shared his views on influence and carrying oneself in an integral way, which results in attracting the community that will support you. We also talked about the perceptions of tribe and community relative to the social media world and how to invest in relationships that will actually be there for you when you need them the most. Lastly, Aaron dropped some wisdom on safety, happiness, and what many are still missing when it comes to life fulfillment. Without further ado, Aaron Alexander. Rising Man family, I've got another amazing man joining me here today, Aaron Alexander, coming in live from Austin, Texas. How are you doing today, man? I'm well. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. I like this background. You look like you're like you're like on a, in a sailboat or something. I am in my office, Rising Man HQ, but it could be a sailboat. It could pretend it's a sailboat for right now. <laughs> it's cool. It's, it's, it's vibey. I like it. Have you ever spent time on water? I've spent time on water. I'm not a seafaring person, not the seafaring type. I prefer to have my feet rooted on the land. But in fact, I'm actually, I'm actually not a very good swimmer, but that's something I've been working on recently because I realized that was a big edge for me. So recently just getting comfortable with that. I was on a boat over the Independence Day weekend. So mm. yeah. Are you not able to swim? 
I can swim. I wouldn't depend on myself if I had to swim to save someone else's life, but I feel confident that I could save my own. So what is it about, so take us through, take me through what the experience is like. Is it you typically get to a point where you start to panic or what? No, you know, it was probably more edgy for me in the ocean. I've always lived near the ocean. So being out in the ocean with just the waves moving me around and crashing over my head and riptides and currents, I feel like my endurance for swimming is really what scares me. And I've had a couple of moments where I've been out there in a riptide and I'm like, if you know that feeling when you feel like you're swimming on a treadmill and you're just like, damn, I'm not getting anywhere. And, and been at that edge of, wow, if I don't, if I don't get back soon, I'm running out of gas. And if I run out of gas, I'm going down. That's, I've had a couple of experiences like that, that made me question my ability to, to swim and really take care of myself that way. Within that, there's like, I'm reading a book right now called the, what is it called? The inner game of tennis. I posted on my the Instagram stories yesterday. I, don't know, I think it's called the inner game of tennis. Have you heard of that one? Inner game of tennis. It talks about there's like the outer game, the way that you swing the racket and all that stuff. Hand, you know, eye on the ball. And then there's the inner game of of your relationship. He calls it like there's two there's there's two of yous. When you're playing a game, you're talking to yourself. You're like, oh, like stupid. Like, oh, swing it this way, swing it that way. So there's like the talking you, and then there's the actual doing you. You know, and finding the the congruence between the two is when you can start to like come into that like flow state and state of connection. When, when you are, I think with the swimming situation, for the most part, you go and likely for me in any situation, like I got it, I was done free diving recently in Tulum and it's such an amazing practice because if you can stay relaxed the whole entire time, you can dive like incredibly deep. I mean, most people can, with a, a few minutes of training can hold their breath for, you know, about three minutes or so. And in that scenario, for the most part, you know, you go down 20 feet or something like that and you start to panic and you freak out. But if you can move through that next barrier and relax deeper, then all of a sudden, wow, you're at 60 feet, you know, and then there's like the panic state. Oh, and as soon as you start to panic, then you start to expend all of your oxygen. But the longer that you can sustain that sensation of complete relaxation, you know, in the, in the book, the inner game, he calls it relaxed concentration, you know, or another, you know, older term for it would be like, ooh, way, you know, and you, when you're in that state of just being able to relax and receive, you know, come into acceptance, maybe there's, you know, there's a lot of different levels to it, but in that state, all of a sudden, I think life gets a lot easier and you have a lot more energy because we have so much of our mind expenditure, I think is a product of that friction to go back to the inner game thing between like person one and person two. But when you can come into congruence with that and, and acceptance and trust and, you know, all that, suddenly you have this new store of energy. But then a big part of that as well, you mentioned with like the riptides, you also have to have, if you just have blind trust and no knowledge or education or understanding of your circumstances, then you're like a baby. And you're, you know, unless you have an adult to take care of, you, you're probably going to die. You know, and so there's like, okay, dude, well, I need to know that I need to swim sideways because that's a channel that's being pulled out and waves are coming in and then it's going to find, you know, an area that's going to essentially create like a river in the ocean. Okay. So now I need to understand the, you know, the dynamics of the ocean. You know, so it's a combination, I think of, of, and this is where I think a lot of like the new age type people conflict with the more like Western analytical minds where Western analytical sometimes is too dry, too grounded, too stable, too linear and structured. And then like the new agey kind of crew, 
is like too fluid and there's no education and there's no like, you know, there's, there's not that, that foundation, but the combination of the two is, is, is quite valuable. So what would you, I love what you're saying there, man. What would you reduce it down to as those two qualities? Like, I, I agree with you. I agree that there's that kind of like old traditional Western structure. And then there's the new, more fluid, more dynamic element of the new age crew. So, so what are those two qualities specific to that analogy you were using? Well, I don't think either is new. It's just new age. I think it's just feminine, you know, like that, like there's like masculine feminine has been a thing for, you know, ever. And so I think that that softer side is really beautiful, you know, and like that side of just like, you know, love everything and live and let live and, you know, like bright, stretchy, elastic pants, you know, and just like, but it's not very dependable because it's chaotic, you know? And so then it's like, okay, you need some masculine, you need some deadlifts and some kettlebells and, you know, you need to do hard shit. You know, you need to hold your breath longer than you thought you could, or you need to spend, you know, longer than you thought was possible in a cold plunge, or you need to do whatever your thing is go spend some nights in the woods by yourself or, you know, do a Vipassana or whatever the thing may be to like push you beyond your edge and create a little bit more strength in the vessel. You know, so I think, I think that both of them, they're just, they could be conceived as like outward projections of the internal human experience. And then, but there's like the, the, the cultures that form around it, but it's still ultimately coming from the single human experience of having that loose, tight, masculine, feminine, light, dark. This is deep. This is my intention to get all, sorry. Well, this is, no, 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 this is good. I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you go deeper. So get ready. Hopefully some of it makes sense. This isn't anything that I've like rehearsed. Well, yeah, let's, so let's throw a spotlight on that. So you, you went to masculine and feminine, which I think is a, a really potent part of the conversation, but how does that fit into your idea of what it means to be a man? Maybe starting with that, what does it mean to be a man and how does, how do those two particular characteristics fit into it? Well, men are going to have more, uh, I by no means am any form of expert with any of this. So I'm not trying to speak like I'm like the David data of this or anything, you know, ask me about hip hinging or, you know, breathing with your diaphragm or something like that. We're on it. But this, this stuff is just things I think is interesting, but I think men are going to have typically have more of a proclivity towards masculinity. Women are typically going to have more proclivity towards femininity. They're going to be, it's just going to be in their wheelhouse to nurture a baby. You know, whereas for a man, it's like, okay, we need to hunt a, a woolly mammoth, you know, or whatever. I need to protect. I'm going to get guns. I'm going to get knives. You know, I'm going to build up my body and get muscles. I'm going to defend this fortress. And then there's going to be that soft, internal, fluffy, loving part that's, that's within. And that's the feminines, like the queens holding that down. And you can switch those roles. It's fine. You know, some women are, are more you know, that feels better. Some women say that they are a guy or they are a pronoun or, you know, whatever, like whatever it doesn't, but I think just genetically and mentally, emotionally, it's going to be less friction in the state of this culture that we presently live in culture and biology that we presently live in to, as a man, lean into that masculine and be a fucking man. And then also to be a whole person, because there's being a whole man and then there's a whole person, it's having that balance of the feminine. And, you know, so I'd rather, I like the, the quote, I'd rather be a, a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. You know, so I think train all of your tools 
to do all of the things, to be able to cut the chicken's head off and be able to go to battle and be like, like kill the cockroach or, you know, let out the spider out the door or whatever. And then also be cultivating that part to be a whole person of, you know, meditation and introspection and massage, you know, like soft tissue work, being a nurturing human being in general, making eye contact with people, being compassionate, actively listening, not looking at your cell phone while, you know, someone's telling you about their dying grandma or something. You know, so it's, you have, you have to actively work on both sides, but I think typically in the present state of the world with like feminism and things of the sort. And these are all things that, again, you know, I'm hopefully no one is disappointed by me talking about things that are absolutely out of my scope of awareness. But I think there can be, there can be a lot of confusion for women trying to lean deeply into the masculine, what inherently is kind of easier for the, like the, the masculine form. And then for men to, need to be, you know, there's like, what are they, what do they call it? What kind of shaming? Toxic masculinity, right? That's it. Toxic masculinity. You know, someone's like, oh, I don't want to be toxically masculine. You know, some would be really spiritual and I have crystals in my, you know, my wrist and around my neck and I burn Palo Santo wood. And, you know, I just want to massage you and love you sweetly. It's like, you're a bitch. <laughs> you need to, you need to like chop wood. And like, like, like I think that that's, it's the feminine appreciates that side because by you having, by you really occupying that masculine space, it allows the feminine to really occupy her feminine space. And then you have balance. Anyways, that was a long winded way of yeah, well, describing. I, I'm not sure what. Well, well, first of all, I, I appreciate you stepping outside of what appears to me your comfort zone. Cause I'm, you're speaking very clearly that you don't consider yourself an expert in this. And I actually think that's important. I think it's important that we don't just wait around for the experts to tell us what's so, cause to me, the qualifying element is you identify yourself as a man. So I think you have just as much right as any one of us to speak about your beliefs on what that is. And a lot of what you shared in there, I think is really, really important because it reflects a particular way of looking at what this looks like. I know for me, one of the big inspirations for me to start this podcast was really questioning, well, what does it mean to be a man? And finding out that I had to define that for myself. And so, uh, you know, I, I always find that asking that question of someone else tells me how you have come to define that for you. And going back to that idea of toxic masculine, how does that land with you as a guy who doesn't really spend a lot of time talking about that, but hears that in the space? What is, what is your viewpoint on toxic masculinity and the fact that that's being spoken about? I think it's great because I think there is such a thing as toxic masculinity, but it all ultimately all comes from some deeper inherent imbalance. And by shaming the toxic masculine, it doesn't actually heal the wound. It just reshapes it. So it's like, okay, don't do that because I want to get more likes. But then you typically will get more likes if you do the toxic masculine thing, whatever it is, you've got like abs beside a Ferrari or something like that. So that's kind of the irony is, is culture wants it. You know, it's like when you go into places like the, you know, if you go into like the South, there's a lot of racism, you know, there's a lot of white guys watching black dudes bang, whatever. You know, and it's like, it's like, oh, interesting. That thing that on the face, they're like, oh, it's the worst. No, keep it away. It doesn't do any, it doesn't heal anything. It doesn't address anything. It just remedies topically. And then the inside, there's the still, there's the same imbalance and the same instability and the same, you know, dysfunction. It's just the face gets shifted. So you're never going to change anything through shame. 
Mm. I think that's a really important part of the message too. And even just zooming out for a minute and maybe bringing this into the health and nutrition and fitness realm, it's looking at where we source our motivation from. I mean, how many people are motivating people out there on the, in the Instagram, Facebook worlds by showing them pictures of what you said, guys with abs next to a Ferrari. And then they look down at themselves and say, wow, I am nowhere near that. I'm a piece of shit. I'm overweight. I'm sloppy. I'm unmotivated and, and motivating from that place versus something else from a different source. What are your thoughts on that whole dynamic? I think all you can do is do what feels true to you. I've started recently getting more into re getting more into boxing. And so I spent the last like week just watching videos of like Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather and all these different people and Floyd, his thing was, you know, he, he like really wanted to be famous and really wanted to be like known as the best ever and all that stuff. And so he, wanted to kind of as like almost more of like a PR stunt in a way. And he probably just resonates with him and feels true to him. He likes it. He would just be like the, the bad guy and just being like super, super superficial and you know, all of the bling and the cars and the girls. And he's really wanted to like go deep into that polarized side of toxic masculinity, essentially. And that was his tool, you know, and it worked really well for him. Your responsibility is only to be authentic to yourself you know, and allow whatever feels true to you to be at least accepted enough to express out. And then it's not necessarily going to stick. And if it does stick, cool, you probably found something that really is like deeply meaningful to you. And the other stuff by allowing it to express out, then it can get out of you essentially. And then you can move on to the next thing that comes out. It's like, you know, I think it's like a train or a conveyor belt. And then the only responsibility for other people is to be responsible for themselves. And the way that they feel about a thing, I think it's very inconsiderate and small-minded and selfish and like, I don't know, almost like cute to for someone to post a thing and you get mad about it and have to like tell them how they shouldn't post that or something. Because it's just an indication that you're out of control of your mind. You know, so you're like, oh, like you, oh no, you can't do that. It's like you're out of control, dog. <laughs> like if you walk, this is from Ramdas, maybe Alan Watts, but if you're like walking through the woods, you know, and you see a bunch of trees and the trees are maybe one tree is shaped in like kind of a funny way, or, you know, it's, it goes outside of your perception of what is appropriate for trees. There's never been a time that you've got mad at a tree. Like it's just it wouldn't because it's not in your mindset. It's not logical. But because with human, because you're so, you're so separate from a tree, you just see it as like nature. Wow, it's great. Whatever, whatever nature does, great. But with people, I think because they're you know you feel more related to them. Obviously, it feels like more congruent with you when they're doing a certain thing. I think you see yourself in them, and then it becomes like you know this this bind for you of sorts. But ultimately, we could respond to people the same way we would respond to trees. And the only thing that we absolutely have a responsibility around is the way that we respond. That's it. It's no one's responsibility to be anything. It's only your responsibility to be in awareness or control of the way that you respond. I really appreciate that. I always lean on Bruce Lee's wisdom here. You probably have heard this one where he said, observe everything, take what's useful and make it uniquely your own. And that was really his philosophy on life. That's how he came to evolve the martial arts world so much and really, really set the tone for mixed martial arts and what we see nowadays. So that idea of observing everything, I, th I think a lot of people get stuck in that first step where we're, we're open to everything. We're taking everything in and 
only taking what's useful. I think that's the part that I hear you speaking to is where I develop my filter for what's actually useful for me. What's further helping me shape my way of seeing the world and my way of seeing myself that helps me get further along and rejecting the other pieces of it. I think like, like what you're talking about with people who, who are trolling on social media, it's like you said, that they don't have that mastery over their mind or the ability to just tune out or reject the things that don't match without having to make it wrong, having to put more distance between themselves and that thing. Well, trolling is just a cry for help. Any person that's ever trolled anybody or had some kind of, like, even if you're like talking shit, I think that's just, if you're putting someone else down, it's typically going to be coming from a place of you feel low and your lowness is relative to other people because you're in a state of comparison. And so if you tear other people down, then suddenly your lowness, because now you've made them bad, so therefore you're good. So now your lowness goes up a little bit because in relation to the others, now they're down here because you just put them down there with your you know words or thoughts or whatever. So inherently, you must be a little bit higher now. But if you come from a place of like not giving a shit about any of that, that game, which I'm not transcended from this or anything, I've, you know, I've all the same, any bullshit that any person experiences, I'm pretty sure I've experienced this as well. And, but that's the thing is when you're feeling really good and confident and safe and secure and, you know, all of those things, typically you see the light in other people. You know, typically you see like, wow, like great job or wow, like, you know, I have constructive criticism. Like I want you to win. So if you're around someone that doesn't inherently want, I don't know, I'd think everyone to win, maybe most everyone. I'm not sure. I have to think about that, whether you want like everyone to win, but at least like, you know, an A minus average of wanting people to win. They're probably a toxic person. You should probably cut them out of your life. You know, because it's like, you don't need that. You don't need someone encanting you with toxic bullshit of you know, this, the destruction of other, which ultimately is the destruction of self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. And I think about yourself, you're in a position where the work that you've done and the way that you've amplified your message out into the world, you, you have an influence on a lot of people. It's just, you know, that's just fact, right? There's people who see what you're putting out there, hear your voice, hear your message, listen to this podcast and they're going to be impacted by it in some way that's beyond your control, right? You can't control how other people are going to receive that. So I'm just interested in turning that around. What's, what's your mindset on what you put out into the world and how that might be influencing other people, especially taking into consideration. Some people may not have that filter for themselves of how they let things in or let things or keep things out. The main filter that I have anytime I put anything that's like a public chirp into reality is this, who is this for? So if it's, exclusively for me every now and again, you know, it's like, I think if you're in a, you need help, you know, whatever the thing is like, I need help. Like right now, honest, you know, like this is where I'm called. Like I could use a hand and it's like, cool. Like you're being overt with that. Like I need help. This is for me. And maybe it helps you to help me or, you know, whatever, but like, I need help. So that exists and that's fine. But for the most part, the question that I ask myself is, you know, how is this supportive for other people? And uh, Byron Katie, are you familiar with her at all? I did a, a podcast with her at her, her place in Ohio, like, I don't know, last year. It was right before the pandemic because we were talking about the pandemic. She did acro yoga with me. So she let me like pick her up and spin her around and whatnot. It's very cool. And one of the things she mentioned in that conversation was 
like the quintessential question to ask yourself before doing anything is, is it kind? You know, and if what you're doing is kind, you know, I think that it's like, cool, like go for it. You know, so with posting something in the internet, I do my best to not, and this is kind of like sickening to me in a way, which me is me being hypocritical about saying I shouldn't be affected by other people's, you know, expressions in the world or whatnot, but I find it kind of disappointing and it works at the same time, which is kind of annoying, but for people to just be putting lots of images and, you know, videos or whatever out just essentially to make noise and like to be perturbating others' attention, like, ha ha, ha ha, ha ha, and it works. You know, so that's, that's an interesting thing. A lot of, you know, I think there's like, there's like look, the, the E-Chang said, those who say don't know and those who know don't say. And so a lot of the, the people with, I think that the largest platforms, oftentimes to some degree, it's a product of just like being noisy. You know, I was like consistently noisy for 10 years, you know, and within that noise, what I deemed to be noise, someone, someone else might deem to be something that's like really supported them and gotten through them through rough times and whatnot. But that's the big thing that I, that I asked myself is like, like, who is this for? And if it's for other people, then I, you know, I think it's great. Yeah. Speaking of that, let's shift gears a little bit because I really want to tap into some of your expertise on on the body and just specifically speaking about how this might show up for men. Thinking about your background in manual therapy and the method that you've developed over the past several years, I'm interested in, in what kind of trends you've seen showing up in men, specifically around just their their experience of being in their body. What, what are some of the things, some of the most potent challenges you see that are facing men these days when it comes to their body and the command they have over their body? shame around your genitals is a big one and like sexuality in general and this is another big thing now again this is more topics that i should probably never mention because i really you know it's just i have no right to have a meaningful opinion in these things but something that i see that i that i see is like with like the me too movement you know not that me too movement is is great and with any kind of movement there's going to be some there's gonna be some turds in there. You know, there's gonna be some things like, Oh, like that sucked. Cause anytime there's going to be great momentum in a direction, there's going to be bullshit that gets attached to it. But within that, just as an example, I think in large part, the effect of something like that. And again, I'm pro, you know, everyone having a voice and me too. Like, I think it's great. It's done a lot of good, blah, blah, blah. but in part, it's like there's even more insecurity around sexuality for a man. So it was weird before. And I think that the reason that we have things like Me Too in the first place comes from a place of shaming around sexuality. And then there's this mutation and this dysfunction and this buildup. It's like festering and molding because it started from a place of feeling insecure and shameful. There's thoughts I can't have. There's feelings I can't have. There's actions I can't have. Ooh, pack it down, pack it down, pack it down. And then bam, me too. You know, uh, Bill Cosby. You know, I don't know why Bill Cosby did what he did. But in general, I think most of that stuff probably comes from a place of repression. You know, so anytime you add more shame into the culture, I don't think it heals the culture. I think it just topically changes the culture and it shifts and it looks good for, you know, one year or, you know, five years or whatever. And then it comes out in something else. You're like, ah, whack-a-mole, this one, shame that, you know, but it's not actually addressing the root, which I think would be like the celebration of sexuality and celebration of your body and celebration of, I don't know, masturbation, like all of it, like all of it's like everyone does it. 
but it's the weirdest thing to talk about. You're like, oh, it's like you probably jerked off this morning. I didn't. Not today. When was the last time I jerked up? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually haven't jerked off for a little bit. But in general, it's like this like, oh, like don't talk about it. It's like it's the most common thing that everybody does. <laughs> but it's still this shameful thing. Like it's like not everybody eats potatoes, but it's totally fine to talk about potatoes. Like everybody jerks off. Everybody flicks their bean or you like whatever your version of it is. And it's just like, nope, off the table. It's like, you know, why is that? Maybe it's maybe it should be off the table. I don't know, but I think having more comfort around ourselves as, as sexual, sexually embodied beings, I think would actually heal a lot of sexual dysfunction. And I agree with you to an extent, because I think one of the big problems is is that especially with social media and just the message coming out from the masses is that now we have a dynamic where an entire global community is responsible or taking the responsibility of holding one or a few people accountable. And I just think it's impossible. How can I, not knowing anything about Bill Cosby, since you mentioned his name before, possibly hold that man accountable? Because I'm, I'm filtering my beliefs and my assessments about how he's shown up and also what is right or what is just and how to approach that through how many different, I mean, it's the game of telephone. How many filters has that gone through before it actually reaches me? And how what right do I think I have to pass judgment on somebody that I don't even know? the list goes on, right? And whether whether you agree with somebody or not, or whether you like the way they present themselves or not, I think that's the bigger problem is that all of a sudden we think that we can actually hold somebody accountable and generate a grounded assessment about somebody without knowing anything about who they are, without being in their proximity. And how could I possibly do that for more than just the people that are in my, my closest sphere? But now because we're armed with a social media account and the ability to comment and give likes, we feel like we have the power to do that. And I think it's it's just completely backwards. And having power to do that is very valuable, but it's also, and if you're going to drive a car, you get a learner's permit to drive a car and you take classes and, you know, you have like a buddy driver with you and they make sure that you know how to drive the car. It's like, I've been driving for 25 years. Like I understand the road, like let's go out and drive the car. But I think to have an informed perspective in what's happening in like the, you know, the, the global happenings or, you know, your community or your country or your social circles or whatever it may be. But like, people are crazy. Like that's a legit thing. Like I might be crazy. There'd be no way for me to really know if I am or I'm not, you know, but there's like, in my mind, I kind of assume that most people are kind of like neutral got their got a, their head on their shoulders like yeah like everyone's fine it's like people are fucked up <laughs> there's like there's like so many different layers to what's happening in the human psyche and all of those potentials of someone being like fucked up in quotations i think we all have that within ourselves at the individual level as well there's no outside ah uh, they're there they're there they're that nothing to do with me. It's like, no, no, no. I think if they're expressing a thing, then you have it within you someplace. And if you can come into acceptance and love and compassion, all that stuff for it, that's going to be a part of your journey and coming to acceptance and compassion for your, for your own self, which is probably going to be some greater healing, but there's no permit. There's no, you know, anything for whatever mind to start boom, 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 projecting stuff into the internets. It's anybody. You know, so you wouldn't take advice from just anybody with anything. If you're looking how to build a house, there's like, you know, in your community, there might be like 10 people out of the, the 100,000 people in the community that you'd be like, okay, I want to talk to you. 
you know, whereas social media, you're just getting, it's just bombarded by random different minds that, you know, a lot of them are, you know, just not people you'd want to be paying attention to in, in that subject, I guess, you know, so I think practicing just a little spaciousness around social media in general, I think is a good idea. It's kind of wild when you really think about it of what's happening. And if you think of like a Instagram account, let's say you've got like a hundred thousand followers and you get 50,000 likes on every post that you put up. It's like, who are those 50,000 people? Imagine if you were in a room with a hundred thousand people and you said something out loud and 50,000 of them started cheering. What would that actually mean to you? If I break that down into my life, what do I really care about 50,000 people agreeing or liking what I said? versus the content of who I am. And I see those people raising their hand and kind of cheering out loud, but I don't know who they are. I don't recognize their face. I don't have any context for their life. But that opinion, that little heart sign that they have the power to, to, to click on or not click on has so much weight to it. We just crave, we crave acceptance because we crave safety and acceptance equals safety. And I, you know, there's probably more to it than that. But if the tribe says, cool, we love you, you're in, it's like a deeply gratifying sensation because it feels you're a made man. Like when you have this sensation, like, cool, like they all love me. Like I'm supported versus the opposite being like, you're out of the tribe. You know, like we don't trust you. We don't value your opinion. You're cut from the tribe. That's the opposite. Here's like, Oh, I'm going to die. You know? So I think most of these are, are preying on all the same inner ancestral patterns that we've had for millennia. You could say, depending upon your belief system. Yeah. Are you familiar with Dunbar's number? Yeah, 150. Right. So I'm just, I guess that's what I'm wondering is when did that number become 150,000 instead of 150 people? When did we make that shift, you think? Well, it hasn't. There's no 150,000. It's still 150. 150 is being able to actually manage. And so the original Dunbar's number comes from primates. What is it called when they're picking on each other? They're grooming each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's like being able to actually track and groom and like take care of each other. And like, like the one, the Dunbar 150 for humans is like, once you have a business beyond or a community or whatever, beyond that 150, they have to become numbers. Like the people, it's just, there's no way to track like the personalities and like have meaningful connections. They're just parts of the system, you know? And so I think that that's still, that's nothing's changed about that, whether it's, you know, 150 or a little less than that or a little more than that or whatever. But generally speaking, you only have so much bandwidth for so many people. And so it's the people on the internet liking, they're not your, they're not like, they're not going to be there for you. You know, they, they like that you're confirming their bias, you know, or you made them feel a little better that day or something like that. But if you needed to like somebody to pick you up from the airport at 1am or something like that, like none of those people are going to be there for you. Well, I think that's the misperception. Tell me what you think, but people are even throwing around the words like tribe, community. I've seen some people with, you know, large social media followings comment on this and say, I'm so glad that my tribe is there for me. You guys are always there. And it's like, there's, there's some sort of mismatch in what that actually represents or or what you're actually getting from those folks. No, I think there, I mean, depending upon how you show up for your group of you know, say you have a, a group of <clears throat> like a thousand true fans is like a popular blog. Have you ever heard of that before? A thousand true fans. Yeah. yeah. And so if you have your, you know, your tribal members in your online program or subscription thing, or, you know, Facebook group, whatever it is, and you show up in a way that really makes them like 
feel valued and you, you have it organized that they're creating accountability amongst each other. And it's really like changing their lives. I think there is a, a reciprocity that's going to come through with those people. Um, I think that you can go well beyond the Dunbar's 150 number in the sense of like actually having a meaningful, valuable tribe. And I was, I was just thinking with like, really, I mean, it might be kind of weird, but the reality with the airport conversation in your tribe of, you know, your thousand people are probably actually, most of them would be really excited to pick you up from the airport. Now that I think about it, you know, imagine if like Joe Rogan called anybody and was like, dude, I need a ride from the airport. Everybody would be like, yep, <laughs> gotcha. You know, so I think there is more value to it, more value to it than maybe we're giving credit. And you can create a, a you know, a still a large or substantial size following. And it really, I think just depends on how that does really want to like be your tribe and show up for you and like, you know, wants to, you know, Conor McGregor says, I don't have fans. I have, I have uh, soldiers, you know, and I think that, I think that that's the way that your fans are, your, you know, the people that surround you or whatever is, is in large part, just a reflection of the way that you are. And there's a possibility where all of a sudden you have soldiers is like, well, you might've created a cult, you know, and now you might have a problem in the other direction. Well, now they're, they're too committed. But I think that we can, in the sense of people that really do want to show up for you and be supportive to you, I think we can really like blow the 150 number out of the water. It's more like actual in-person, you know, interpersonal relationships. So without taking this off topic too much, have, have you seen that documentary that's on Netflix right now about Osho, Wild Wild Country? Have you seen that yet? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I lived in Oregon for for a couple of years, so I was like, that was nearby there. Okay. Yeah. So you said you said cult, and it started making me think about that. But yeah, not to take us too far off topic, uh, as far as just how this is relevant to everyone out there who doesn't have thousands of of social media followers, but a way to think about community and and creating community around yourself with people who will show up for you and people who you will show up for. I think that's something that a lot of us have lost, especially in this past year. If, if we had even a shred of that, it was taken away in the inability to show up for each other in certain ways. So how do you think that pertains to someone who is still looking to create that intimate circle? Well, even if you have a million, I mean, I have a, a lot of friends that have like well over a, a million, the sacred number, a million, you know, IG followers or YouTube or whatever. Um, none of them are any happier or anything like at all. Like that's, I mean, that, and that's like old hat, like no one, everyone for the most part knows that the happiest, once you reach a certain moder- number of, I think, followers or money or anything like that, just enough to feel safe. That's the big thing. You need enough of everything to feel safe. And your bar of what makes you safe is going to be different. You might have an infinite bar of safety that doesn't really actually exist, you know, and so you need to like address the framework, the infrastructure of your of your safety bar, you know, but if you make like a hundred thousand a year or something like that, like you're good, like you feel good at a hundred thousand depending upon inflation and where you're at in the world and all that stuff. But say you're in LA, if you make a hundred thousand bucks, you're like, you, you probably feel good. Like you're good. You know, you, you need to have enough for your, if your laptop breaks or your car breaks, it's not a big deal. Like that, I think it really does inform one's level of happiness is not being worried about money. It's, I think it's a, a huge deal. So be paying attention to finances and, you know, also your, what would you call it? Like your social portfolio, maybe you could say, I think is really valuable, you know? And so really paying attention with how you show up in your immediate relationships, you know, are you a person that really has expressed to the people around you that like you got them? Because if you got them, then they might not all get you, but you're generally, you're sending the frequency out of like, okay, I got you back. Like the law of reciprocity is very real. 
And so when you start to live in that way, and I think ultimately if you live in that way as well, it's like it reinforms the way that you show up for yourself. You know, so the way that you treat others is kind of like the way that you treat yourself. Not always, you know, there's no like absolutes with any of that stuff. But for someone that doesn't have a hundred thousand Instagram followers or something, and a lot of people that have a hundred thousand Instagram followers, you have to look at the engagement because a lot of times it's just fake, you know? And so like you said, like, just because you have a hundred thousand Instagram followers, it doesn't really mean anything you know, as far as the actual impact of being able to sell stuff and create influence. Anyway, that's a separate topic though. But it, I think it's really just being showing up for people in a meaningful way in the moment and making that your practice. If you do that with consistency, then that grows, you know, and, and that's it. Like everything can come back to the myopic level and say like, cool, like how do I show up when I'm at the grocery store? You know, when I'm like at the, with the barista and I'm cashing out or paying for my espresso or whatever, like how was that relationship? I make eye contact and like, you know, how was, did I, did I let out a good exhalation and like breathe and feel comfortable with my body? You know, was, did she smile? Did he smile? Did we have like a moment, you know, just getting in the practice the way you show up for everyone individual level. I think from there that, you know, it expands out to having people in your life that care about you. And then the next is jumping on to other people's larger circles you know, and being active, like you need to be, especially when you don't live in a 150 person tribe where like you're a part of the tribe inherently because we need you for us to survive. And if you can't be a part of the tribe, you kind of have to go, you know? And so it's like, we don't have that so overtly in Western, you know, nuclear family culture where you can just order everything on Amazon and you don't need to have any real skills like survival skills. Survival skills essentially could be you know, whatever, selling fake shit on eBay or something that could be your survival skill. You're like, mm, it's working to be able to get you the goods and shelter and all that stuff. You know, so I think being proactive about entering into social situations, go to yoga classes, go to dance classes, go to, you know, whatever your, it doesn't mean yoga, you go to, you know, I don't know, chess conferences, like whatever your thing is, like you need to be proactive because at some point there's going to come a time when you, where you need people and you might feel like you don't need people now, you're probably going to need people in the next one to 20 years. Right. And the, the thing is that you don't want to wait until you need people to start making those investments. And that's the thing is financial. And if you do invest in people, you're, you're going to typically become wealthy, but you ought not focus too much on financial gain. You know, pay attention to it. Don't be completely blind to numbers because it is a, a thing that's a part of Western culture is like you know, pay attention, but have the, the focus be, you know, how are you supporting people? Because if you have a, th a thing that makes people's lives better, money comes, you know, and then from there, figure out business and figure out, you know, all of the other things. But first you need a thing that makes people's lives better, you know, and that from there, then it's like that, well, then it sells itself. You know, that, I know that's kind of a, you know, I guess we're going down a different, different pathway, but yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, I appreciate that you're bringing that in. Cause that's, that's very core to my belief system. And, and it was cool to have this conversation with you. Cause I see a lot of parallels also coming from, to me, very obviously like different 
areas of life and, and the way that we're, we're doing our lives. And so it's, I think it's cool to see the synchronicities and the parallels in the way we view things. Cause to me, I think that's the most important investment anyone can make. I do think it's important to obviously look at the financials and look at numbers, but I mean, if this past year has taught us anything, it's how much do we value relationships? How much do those really matter when, when things do start to fall apart, when you do start losing loved ones and having tragic things happen, who do you count on mm-hmm. if you haven't been prioritizing that? So yeah. And then also developing, you know, this is again, like cliche, but developing a relationship with yourself, developing a relationship with others. Like I think they both inform each other, you know, but being willing to invest in yourself is incredibly valuable, you know, because you can only show up to the tribe, you know, to the outer world, to the degree that your, your cup is full. So if you're always, you have like, you know, I grew up Christian, you know, so I'd kind of like the uh, worshiping the martyr kind of vibe, you know, and so I'd like find out that someone was like, you know, in pain and they had all of these issues and they were like, oh, they were like broken inside, but they were like, they still stood up and, you know, they led the movement. And I'm like, I'm like, fuck that. Like be full and stand up and lead the movement. Yeah. Pouring from an empty cup, man. Yeah. That's a bigger topic for another day. But as we start to wrap things up here, I just, I really appreciate the way you just jump into conversation. Uh, I appreciate that about who you are and the way you showed up. This is a different direction than I thought we might go, but a really great conversation. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Cool. Yeah, me too, man. Thanks. Thanks for doing it. You got it. So I got a couple of rapid fire questions for you and then we'll close out. You tell everybody where to find you. Sound good? Cool. Cool. Go team. What's one thing you've learned in your life you knew when you were 18? You wish you knew when you were 18? Be more intentional with the way I train. Good one. All right. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Big dick. <laughs> are, we, are we qualifying that as a value? <laughs> <laughs> Next question. (laughs) All right. What do you think the world needs most from men right now? I think men that are comfortable showing up a hundred percent in both like the traditional masculine way and the, and the traditional feminine way to use that as like a model. So whatever that means in a person's mind, but be really comfortable with both, both sides. Cool. Cool. Full circle there. Love it. And last but not least, where can people come find you, come work with you? Where do you want to direct people to? I mean, if they made it to the end of this podcast and they obviously listen to podcasts, so they could check out my podcast, the Align podcast, the Byron Katie episode be a fine place to, to go. That was like a year ago or something. We did that conversation. I also have a book, The Align Method, which is like a, a user's manual for physical inhabitants that uh, I'm really proud of. That's probably my most proudest thing, I would say. Most proudest. Can you say that's like what a little kid says? It's my most proudest. That's how you know it's real. <laughs> that's how you know. Instagram's a line podcast. Everything you just type a line podcast on the internet, everything will come up. Beautiful, man. Love it. Well, I will cut you free and let you get on to your next one. Aaron, man, great to connect with you. Thanks for taking the time and sharing everything you had today. Thank you, brother. All right. Take care, bro. All right, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please make sure to swing over to risingman.org to check out all the links and resources for this episode and every episode of the podcast. While you're there, check out our 12-week online course called Ignite to get your life launched and started today. If you're a man out there looking to get more clear on your values, on your vision, on your purpose, what you want to do, how you want to be in the world, Ignite is the first place to start. So go check it out, risingman.org slash ignite. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to us and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the rising man movement. Give us a follow on Instagram at rising man movement. If you don't already, because we always got some amazing stuff dropping over there for you. 
Big ups to the power team, my leadership team within Rising Man and the whole Rising Man community out there, spreading the love and all the gratitude to each and every one of you because without you, this movement wouldn't move. So thank you. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.